everybody welcome back to scriptures revealed this is episode number four uh, as we journey through the book of ephesians and allow the word of the lord to enlighten us to illuminate us to bring us into fuller revelation of all that god has for us uh, if you have missed the previous three episodes please go back and check those out you are not going to want to miss any part of this book it is amazing i'm so excited about it uh, so I'm not going to take the time to go back through all that we have uh, learned thus far. We spent the first two episodes dealing with the intro to the book of Ephesians and realizing that this book starts actually in Acts chapter 19 and we are walked through verses 1 through 3 on last week and we discovered that Christianity is not about another religion but it is about being introduced into an entire world into an entire civilization into an entire nation and the nation is called Jesus Christ and, and we brought light to that that every time we read in the scriptures in Christ or in him or in whom we're talking about that nation. We're talking about the nation of Jesus Christ. So if you missed that last week, please go back and look at that, uh, listen to that, or go back and re-listen to that because everything we look at from this point on in the book of Ephesians is going to build on that. It's going to build on the fact that we are citizens of a nation and the nation is called Jesus Christ. And so I want us to understand, and as we continue to journey through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians is a wonderful book. I want to remind you, and I'm probably going to say this every single week because I want to keep it in the forefront of your mind, that the whole aim, the whole apostolic aim of the book of Ephesians is that Paul wants to secure this church in the in, uh uh, the, what, the word I want to use, I guess, would be secure the church in their love walk with the Savior. He wants to secure the church in their love walk with the Savior. And so everything we discover, everything we learn in the book is going to be with an aim to get us to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Because Paul understood that if you want to live the life that God has intended for you to live, you've got to live it surrendered. You've got to live it sold out. You've got to live it fully dedicated and fully and wholly turned over to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul understood that even though that is the case, is you cannot get somebody to fully surrender to a God they are not in love with. Just like you can't get somebody to fully commit to a person that they're not truly in love with. Love will motivate commitment. And where there is an issue of commitment, then there is a, there's a blockage, there's a boundary, there's a wall, there's a defense somewhere in my love walk. And so in order for me to grow in my level of devotion and grow in my level of commitment, I've got to fall more in love. And so that is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to unlock to us the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of the church, how our lives can be different, how our lives can be transformed, what is available to us as Christians, as believers, as citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ, because he feels like if I can get them to taste and see that the Lord is is good, I can cause them to fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. 
And we saw, uh, even though this was Paul's apostolic aim uh, to do that, we see that in Acts and we see it as we journey through the book of Ephesians. When Jesus comes back on the scene in the book of Revelation, that is the very thing he rebukes this church for. He rebukes them because they had forgotten their first love. And when you forget your first love, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how well you're serving. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how much revelation you have. You've got to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And if you're rooted there, you don't have to worry about your commitment. You don't have to worry about your devotion. You don't have to worry about your level of surrender to him because you are going to feel safe. You're going to feel trustworthy to surrender to a God you are completely enamored with, completely in love with. So again, that is what Paul is endeavoring to do. So I want to make sure we're still viewing the, this book with the right lens on, with the, uh, uh, able to view it rightly, that everything is about causing us to fall more in love with Christ. And so every time that we learn something else in the book of Ephesians, at the end of it, it should send you into a, a, a moment of worship, a moment of praise and gratefulness and gratitude and thankfulness for the goodness of your God. Because praise is how you school the heart and to uh, a love-centered, devotion-based relationship. Thankfulness is how you do it. The gratitude, the more grateful you are, the more you're going to find yourself falling in love with Jesus. It's the same way with any relationship. Is the more grateful you are, the more thankful you are, the more you find that heart tie gets a little bit tighter because you are more appreciative of what they do or who they are uh, or how they are in your life. It's the same way with your relationship with God. If you feel like this is free and then we're going to jump in uh, Ephesians chapter one uh, because we have a lot to cover today. But, uh, But if you feel like your relationship with God and your level of devotion to God has hit a glass ceiling or has hit a wall. What you need to do is spend moments, spend seasons of being grateful, seasons of being thankful. I mean, don't ask him for anything. Find something to be thankful for. Find something to be grateful for. And when you allow your heart to be intoxicated with gratitude, then you are going to find your heart being rooted and grounded in love. It's how it works. It's how it unfolds. You've got to become a son of gratefulness, a child of gratefulness. And when you allow gratefulness to saturate your heart, then you will move more and more into a love relationship with God. So that's where we're going to start and that's where we're going to go into. So we, we hit verses one through three last week, but I'm going to start with verse three again. Uh, I'm going to start with verse three again. So verse three says, uh, actually, I start with verse one, but we'll pick up digging into verse three. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is where we're digging in verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, again, if you're looking at uh, Ephesians chapter one in the Greek, you're going to discover that verses three through 14 is one big, long sentence. All right. Verses three through 14 is one long big sentence is one big sentence it it is probably 
um, when you uh, do studies and you um, research different theologians, different commentaries, different resources, you're going to find out that it's, prob- it's probably whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, as far as the Greek language is concerned, this is probably one of the most beautiful sentences in the Greek language at all, uh, uh, above them all, because it is one long sentence, and the sentence is about why we are grateful, why we are thankful, because Paul starts it out saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, worthy of praise. In other words, there's another way to say that. Worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of praise. And why is he worthy? Paul then goes through all of these verses, but in the Greek, it's just one sentence, but he lays out why God is worthy, why the Godhead is worthy, why the Godhead deserves praise, why the Godhead should be worshiped and what happens to us. Now, last week, again, we talked about that we, when we got born again and we got saved, we became citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. Now, what verses 3 through 14 is going to show us, and it's going to take uh, the next three weeks for us to completely plow through these four, uh, these verses, 3 through 14. Because what we're going to see here in these verses is what I'm calling kingdom naturalization. It is how, it is how God, the Godhead rather, Confer the rights of a citizen on us. It is how we became a citizen. See, we think that all we have to do is say, you know, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sins, and then I'm born again and I'm saved. But there, there is a kingdom that we are a part of. There, this is a nation that we are a part of. And in order to be a part of a nation, when you aren't born in that nation, you've got to be naturalized. You've got to be admitted into it. You've got to be brought into it. You, you've got to be brought into conformity to that. You've got to be established as a native. So what verses three through 14 is going to show us is how God made us natives of the nation of Jesus Christ that I want us to make sure we're all on the same page about that so when he says uh, worthy of praise be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ he is getting ready to tell us why he deserves to praise he's getting ready to tell us why we should be grateful why we should be thankful why he deserves all of the worship why he deserves all of the praise now this is what he does now Let's look at this verse. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you say, I keep reading that verse because there's so much even in that one line. What I do want us to pay attention to is why Paul calls him the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because God is the God He's the God of the humanity, of the human side of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, the man has a God. Jesus, the son has a father. Jesus, the man has a God and Jesus, the son has a father. Now, the interesting thing about that is that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. So not only, watch this, and, and we are three parts. We are spirit beings. We have a soul. We live in a body. I don't have time to go into that teaching, uh, but if you didn't see my latest Facebook Live this past week, go on Facebook and get, you can get more insight into the teaching of spirit, soul, and body. But we are three parts. What happens for Jesus is that Jesus, the man, has a God. Jesus, the son, has a father. God 
is not he is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Lord, but his human side has a God. His sonship side has a Father, and it is the exact same for us because we are in Christ Jesus. So not only do we have a God, not only do we have a sovereign, not only do we have a king, but he, we also have a Father in this nation. He's not just God. The Bible says that he is the father of spirits. So your spirit being has a father. When you get born again, when you get regenerated and you become a part of the nation of Jesus Christ, not only can you say, I bless God or I have a God or he is my God or he is my sovereign king, but you now have a father. You now have a father because God is the father of spirits. I want you to realize that God is the father of spirits. He's not the father of bodies. He's not even the father of souls. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. What he is, is the father of spirits. We learned that in the book of Hebrews. We're actually going to go to to that scripture in uh, just a few minutes. But look at this. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In Christ, there there goes that phrase again, in Christ, which means in the nation of Jesus Christ. So, who has blessed us in the nation of Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I want us to get insight about how that really looks for us in the Greek. What does it really, really say? Because it's going to bless you. What it says is here is that he has blessed us. With every spiritual blessing, not in, not just in the heavenly places, but among the celestial ones, which means among the other citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? Jesus Christ has blessed us with everything that will make us a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ. What we are going to discover in verses 4 through 14 is everything that makes us a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to discover. Now, watch this. In the heavenly places. Now, what I want us to look at is this. Among the celestial ones or among the the citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ, I want us to look at at Hebrews really quick. Um, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to further see how we have been inducted into a nation that has citizens, that has civilization, that has a government, that has laws, that has precepts, that has ordinances, that has judges, that has police officers, that has a a, a criminal justice system. All of that is in the nation of Jesus Christ. All of that is. So watch this. Hebrews chapter 12 and... Let's see what verse I want to start at. Uh, Let's look at verse 22. Prior to verse 22, um, the writer of of the book of Hebrews is saying that, uh, you know, we're not come to Mount Sinai. In other words, we have not come to the to the old covenant way of, of doing things that we've come to something new. And that's what we're embarking on. So verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. Now pay attention to this because the scripture says not that you're going to come, not that you're going to get there when you die, not that this is part of the afterlife. I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to pay attention. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, which means this is not something you're waiting on. This is something when you got born again, 
This is further proof that you didn't just join a religion, but you became a part of the nation of Jesus Christ. So it says you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You are, you have come to the city of the living God. We've made this about heaven. And it, it says, it's not saying you're going to come. It says you have come. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn. That's the church who are enrolled in heaven. Do you get that to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven? Your citizenship is in heaven. You are right now. If you are born again, a citizen of heaven, a citizen of heaven. You vote to heaven. Watch this. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of, of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which means when you got born again, you immediately came to Mount Zion. You immediately came to the city of the living God. The heavenly, Jeru- the heavenly Jerusalem is the kingdom of God. That, that, that'll open up an entire new spectrum for you. But the heavenly Jerusalem is the kingdom of God. You come to innumerable angels. You come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This goes back to Ephesians chapter one, verse three, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places or among the celestial ones, among the citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. Right now, you are a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ, which means you have access to everything that God has available in the heavens. It's a matter of bringing that manifestation or manifesting that upon the earth. That's why Jesus told his disciples, what you all need to do is not get caught up in what's going on in the world, not get caught up on when I'm going to come and take over Israel, not get caught up on um, the end of the world and the way that you think it's going to be. No, don't get stuck there. What I want you all to do is pray, Lord, let thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, that is what you need to be focused on. You need to be focused on bringing the manifestation of my will, my kingdom, your nation that you are part of, bringing it upon the earth, manifesting it upon the earth. So if there are demons that need to be cast out, cast them out. That is the manifestation of the kingdom. If there is sickness that needs to be healed, heal the sick. That is a manifestation of the nation of Jesus Christ. If if the lepers need to be cleansed, cleanse them because that's a manifestation of the nation of Jesus Christ. If the dead need to be raised, raise them because that is a manifestation of the nation of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go ahead and jump on in uh, uh, about what the Godhead did to naturalize us. What did the God, what did the Godhead do to confer the rights of a citizen upon us? What did the Godhead do? Now, this week, I'm going to deal with what God the Father did. That's what we're going to look at. What did God the Father do to make us citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ? And we're going to see that starting in verse 4. Let's look at it. Verse 4 says, even as he chose us, who is he? The Father. All right, because we're going to see the Father Next week, we're going to see the Son, and then the following week, we're going to see the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see what the Godhead did to make us citizens. This is what the Father did. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Now, my personal belief is that that phrase, in love, is connected to verse 5. 
people have their various beliefs. I explain to you in a minute why I think that I believe that. But let's look at this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, the, the, of course, the first word you want to pay attention to and what the father did to naturalize us as citizens was that he chose us. We are citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, point blank, because he chose us. You know that word chose me? It means that we were a heart preference of the Father. You were a heart. Now, granted, this is going to make you fall in love with Jesus. You were a heart preference of the Father. And watch this. You were his heart preference before the foundation of the world. God has a thing for you. God is passionate over you. We learn in the uh, even in the Old Testament that God is jealous over you. He loves you. He wants you. And everything God is in pursuit of you. He just wants you to be in pursuit of him. But he chose you. He chose you. And watch this. He chose you before the foundation of the world. You know what that, that phrase in the actual Greek Foundation of the world is not foundation of the world. It means he chose you before the downcasting of the world system, before the downcasting or the disruption, before the world got down or before the world got void, in other words. So you know when God chose you? He chose you before Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing because in Genesis chapter one, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Watch this. And then the earth became void. What What is that actually saying? Is that the earth became disrupted. Something happened. The earth became downcast. The, the system, the world system got disrupted. It became downcast. So before we get to Genesis 1 and 2, before we get to God creating light, before we get to God creating visitation, before we even get to God creating the first human being, he had already chose you. You were already his heart's delight. You were already somebody that he wanted to be a part of his world. He wanted you a part of your of his world. You were born to be a part of the world of God. You you were in the heart of God before Adam came on the scene, before God put the moon and the stars in the place. So before and, and the Bible says that God has named the stars. Isn't that amazing? That God has named the stars. So before God named the billions of stars there were, there are, you were on the heart of God and he chose you and he chose you. Yes, the God of the universe chose you. The God that's running everything chose you. The God who has, uh, who's known as a consuming fire. He chose you. The God that everybody makes you think that he's just so full of rage and so full of anger and so ready to get you and so ready to judge you and so ready to condemn you. Yep. That, that God, that, that, that God that they are confusing, that they are uh, misrepresenting. God chose you. And the beautiful thing about God is that he knows everything. So he knows your weaknesses. He knows your frailties. He knows your uh, infirmities. He knows what you can't do and what you can do. He knows every mistake you have made and every mistake you're going to make. And in the middle of it all, you are still his heart preference. You are still somebody that he chose. Watch this. Why did he choose me? He chose me before the foundation of the world that I should be holy and blameless in him. God chose me to be different. He chose me to be distinct and he chose me to be faultless. 
He chose that for me. That was his intent for my life. Do we get that? When we say God chose, we're talking about the intent of God. God's intent for me was that I be holy and I be faultless. And if I can't live up to God's intent, that makes God unjust. So if God's intent for me is to be holy and faultless, then that encourages me. That empowers me to believe that I really can live a holy life. I really can live blameless before him. And you know what it means? To be holy and blameless before him, it, it simply means the right, I have been made the righteousness of God. God chose me in him. God chose me to be a part of the nation of Jesus Christ, and he chose me to be righteous. He chose me to have his nature. He chose me to look like him. I, he wanted me to look like him and sound like him, talk like him, and walk like him, and be like him upon the earth. That was the desire of the Lord. That is how he made me a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ is that he chose me before the foundation of the world. So you know what that says? I know you, I know we thought that we were wonderful. I know we thought, thought it was all dependent on us, but the bottom line is I wouldn't even be saved if God didn't want me. I want that. I mean, if we would meditate on that, I'm telling you, uh, uh, fear will be broken off of you. Abandonment will be broken off of you. Rejection will be broken off of you. Uh, I'm just saying things, you will move into an arena of freedom and liberation and emancipation that you may not have known before to meditate on the fact that the, that the reason I am born again, the reason I am saved, the reason I am even a Christian is because the Father wanted me. He wanted me. He wanted me. He wanted you. He still wants you. Yep. Even though all those secrets you have, all those bondages you have, all of those shortcomings you have, he wanted you. And he thinks that you can live holy. He thinks you can be faultless. Now, that's an encouraging thing. To have, not only does he think that, he believes in you enough to make you a part of the kingdom of God, to make you a part of the nation of Jesus Christ. God believes in you. Do you get that? God believes in, God believes that you can conquer. God believes that you can be victorious. The Father believes that you can be an overcomer. You know why he believes it? Because he pre-select, he chose you. He chose you to be holy. You are on the heart of God. I mean, I can't, I can't ground that in you enough is that you are on the heart of God before the foundation of the world. Now look at verse five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So here we hear here again, we're back on the, the will of God. We're back on the purpose of his will. We're back on, it, it was just his delight. The mere fact I am a Christian, the mere fact I am a believer is because it delights God. It delights God that I'm a part of his kingdom. It delights God that I am a part of his nation. But look at this. It says, in love, he predestined us. Now, let me help you understand something about the doctrine of predestination. And um, we'll go in more detail about it as we continue to walk through the book. But the doctrine of predestination is not a doctrine of control. I want you to hear me. It's not a doctrine of manipulation, of, of divine manipulation. It is not a doctrine of that. The doctrine of predestination is the doctrine of love. 
I want you to hear it because watch it. Watch this in verse five. It says in love, he predestined us. So if, if what you teach about predestination is now rooted and grounded in the love of God, you're going to run into error. You're going to be off and you're going to miss God's original intent. So watch this. The doctrine of predestination is not a doctrine of divine manipulation. It is a doctrine of love. It is a doctrine of love and it is a doctrine of parameters. It's a doctrine of, cause you know, the word predestined, it means to determine beforehand the boundaries, to determine beforehand the boundaries, to determine beforehand the limits. What does that mean? This is how predestination works according to the scriptures is that God has already predetermined what is going to be accepted in his world and what is not going to be accepted. It is a predetermined thing. God has predetermined that only the righteous, only the righteous should be a part of the nation of Jesus Christ. God has predetermined that only the holy should be a part of the nation of Jesus Christ. He has predetermined it. Now, what you if you choose to be chosen, there are as many are called, but few are chosen. If you choose to be chosen, if you choose that you want to be, to give your life over to Jesus and to be born again and to be recreated and to be a part of the righteousness of Jesus, you want to be made the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has already predetermined that if you are made the righteousness of God, you are going to be a part of the nation of Jesus Christ. His predestination is not him controlling your decision. It's not him controlling your will it's him controlling the outcome say that to you again predestination is not God controlling your decisions it's not God controlling your will it is God controlling the outcome so he says hey make your own decisions decide if you want me decide if you're going to make me your lord decide if you're going to make me your savior and I have already predetermined that if you make me your lord and savior I'm going to make you righteous I'm going to make you holy I'm going to make you a son of God but if you decide that you're not going to make me your Lord, you're not going to make me your Savior, you're not going to be a citizen of my nation, then I have predetermined that those who do not accept me are going to go to what the Bible clearly lays out. Hell is the place. And you know what hell is? Hell is God is, is a part of God's criminal justice system in his kingdom. It's what you do with criminals. It's the same thing we have in our world. Because you know what? We call it crime in our world. In God's world, he calls it sin. You should look at that word in the Greek. We, we get our word crime from the word sin in the Greek. Because what is a crime in our world is a sin in God's. God just calls it sin. But what it really is a, is a crime. And criminals go to jail. Criminals go to prison. That's all hell is. Hell is a jail. Hell is a prison for the criminals of the kingdom of God. And God has predetermined that criminals go to jail. And those who decide to give their life over to Jesus Christ are accepted in the nation of Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful love-filled doctrine of predestination. Is that God has predetermined an outcome for every decision that you will ever make. There's already an outcome for it. And watch this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. He predestined us to be placed as sons in his nation. So how does God, watch this, we're learning. How does God, the Father, naturalize us into the nation of Jesus Christ? How does he do it? He chose us. So he chooses us. He predestined us, 
And watch verse 6 right here. To the praise of his glorious grace with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He has blessed us in the beloved. King James says accepted us in the beloved. You know what that says? Is that he has graced us in the one having been loved. He, he has blessed us in the beloved. We are in the one having been loved. That's, that's how the Father has made us citizens. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be placed as sons in the nation. And he has caused us to live and reside in a place called love. To live and reside in a place called love. That's where God, that's what God the Father did. He chose you. He predestined you. And he has accepted you. He has blessed you. He has put you and wants you to enjoy life in love. And love, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. What is the abundant life? The abundant life is living life in love. Living life in a place called love. Living life in, so, and, and what, what's the place called it? Real quick, and then I am out of time again. And we will pick this up next week. But living in a place called love, which means I'm gonna live in a place where God is patient with me. God is kind with me. There's not envy or boasting. There's no arrogance. There's no rudeness. I love this about love. God is so sovereign, and His will is running the earth and running the planet, and yet love says, I don't insist on my own way, which means I have a way. I'm not going to make you go that way. Love says I'm not going to make you go my way, even though I have one. That's living in a place called love. So watch this. Obedience to God should not be done out of condemnation. It should not be done out of manipulation. It should be done out of the fact that God has a better way for me to go. God loves me. He has a better way for me. Love isn't irritable. It isn't resentful. God isn't. Which I love this because if God is love and God wants me to live in love, God's not irritated with me. I mean, I'm telling you, this is mind blowing stuff that God has called us to live in. God's not irritated with me. He doesn't rejoice when I make a mistake. He only rejoices when I'm when I'm conquering, when I'm walking in victory. He is bearing all things. He is believing all things. He is hoping. He's enduring with me. God's not giving up on me. Why, why do I have these promises? I, that's part of my promises as a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ. It is how God is naturalizing me. It is how God is conferring the rights of citizenship on me. I'm going to go through those three things again. What the Father has done to make me a citizen in Jesus' nation. Is that he chose me, which means I couldn't be a part of the nation if God didn't want me there. But he wanted me. He wants me. And number two, not only does he want me, but he is predetermined that I would be a son of God. Because I chose, because he chose me and because I responded to his choosing, he predetermined that the outcome of that decision is that I'm going to make you a son. I'm going to make you a son. And number three, I'm going to cause you to live in a place called love. I'm not going to be irritated with you. I'm not going to be exasperated by you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to stop believing in you. I'm not going to stop enduring with you. I'm not going to be irritated with you. 
I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be considerate of you. I'm not going to pressure you to go my way. I'm going to show you my way and let my love draw you. With The Bible says, with his loving kindness, thou hast drawn me. Not with manipulation, not with pressure, with loving kindness. That is what the Father has done to naturalize us as citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. Well, again, y'all, I'm out of time. I've actually gone overtime this week, but I am excited about journeying through the book of Ephesians and learning what it is to be a part of this nation, learning what it is, how God has blessed us, how God wants us to conquer, how God wants us to be an overcomer, how God wants us to be victorious. Join me same time next week, and we're going to learn what Jesus the Son has done to make us citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. We've learned this week what the Father has done. Next week, join me on Friday to learn what Jesus the Son has done to make us, to confer upon us the rights of citizenship. It is going to bless you. You don't want to miss it. See you next week. Love y'all.